When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men. New series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast von der Football Grad Network. I am Manuel Veth and I'm hosting today instead of Bryce Dunn, who sadly has some internet problems and can't join the podcast. But that's okay, I think we'll manage just fine. I'm joined, as always, by Chris Williams. Chris, how are you doing? My name is very well, thanks. I've uh, just had my dinner, so I've got that post-dinner slump, but I'm hoping that I'll come back to um, some sort of natural happy state as we talk about the football. <laughs> I definitely know that post-dinner slump. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of handicapped myself a little bit right now, Chris. I, I had a meniscus operation on, on Thursday, so I'm kind of semi-sitting on this awkward position right now with massive cast on my leg. Um, but I think we should manage just fine. We have some really interesting topics this week. And Chris, let's start with something that the two of us we've been debating, I think, pretty hotly now for a couple of weeks. Um, let's start with Dortmund's performance first and then speak a little bit about, about the head coach, Lucien Favre. What did you make of that Dortmund game on uh, Saturday? Yeah, I thought it was a little dull, to be honest, apart from the 95th minute. Um, that was probably the only exciting thing really about it. Um, yeah, it's it's just another indication for me of where Dortmund are currently under Lucien Favre. And that's not to say he's a bad coach, because I think anybody who listens to this podcast from the minute he was um, given as the head coach, we were all excited. It's just over this season, it's not been as as maybe as exciting or not the level that's required. I mean, Dortmund had a really good chance to win the league this season with Kovac starting off at Bayern and then being way under par. Um, it's It's been a real poor time for them. I think they could have gone probably a little bit deeper in Europe had they played a little better. I mean, the um, the, the headline that Fear the Wall ran with, which was last minute header from Hallam makes up for 94 minutes, 45 seconds of garbage football. <laughs> that was a little harsh, but pretty much close to what I was thinking. It was, it, it's been poor for me, Manu, and it's, it's just been an ongoing trend. I think probably sound like a broken record, but Dortmund are good. 
but they're not going to win the league by being good. They need to be wonderful. And I can't see them being wonderful under Lucien Favre. I don't think he is a wonderful coach. I think he's a very, very good tactician. I just think that the expectation at Dortmund is to challenge Bayern, and I don't think that's happening at the moment. And I can't really see it happening if it's not going to happen this season. Julian Brandt's there, Emre Chan's there, Haaland's there, obviously. Guerrero's playing well. Axel Witzel, Thomas Delaney, Jaden Sancho. I mean, all of these players, and they're still not picking up the results that we thought they would do. So, yeah, I, I would, I mean, I would suggest or probably presume that there will be a part in come the end of the season. And, and if there's not, I, I really don't see Dortmund challenging by next season either. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one for me. I mean, I, I watched that game and and um, it, it was very dull. Uh, I mean, the, the only two exciting things were that the Haaland goal and the, the goal that didn't count for Rafael Guerrero. And I mean, we're going to talk about the referee decision in a moment because I think it was actually the correct call. Um, but I think for Dortmund, what really come, becomes apparent right now is this this tactical, the, the way they're tactically set up under Favre, this really efficient way of football. I think it was almost glossed over by the fact that when they play at Signal Iduna Park in front of a big crowd, you know, they could be lifted up and um, the atmosphere almost closed over, closed over over many of the problems on the field. And now that we're just watching it, we're actually really noticing how dull it is to watch at times, right? It's very slow. It's very meticulous. And it's kind of almost holding back um, the the players that he has in his squad. I mean, it's like he's given a Ferrari, but he's driving on the right-hand lane with both signal lights on and, and on the autobahn. And it's only going 100 kilometers an hour, right? That's almost how it feels like and um, waiting for that one opportune moment to overtake another car. And it's, I just don't think that's a good fit. I think it's when you have the players that you have mentioned, you need another coach to get that excitement level up and form those young players and give, get out the creativity. And you can't just have them, you know, can't just bang on like um, Erling Haaland heading home in the last minute header or you know, Rafael Guerrero, his goal was, I think, magnificent, even though it didn't count. But you can't hope for those moments. You have to be a bit more creative. And that's why, you know, we have now, we've been recently speaking about Jesse Marsh. You and I, I think, both in agreement that we think he's going to be a good coach if he goes there. Another coach is Nico Kovac. Not so sure about him, but Chris, um, Eric Ten Hag from Ajax Amsterdam has been the latest name um, thrown in the ring. And I know Bayern wanted him before they had all their success with Hansi Flick. Um, what do you make of this one? Is there, Do you think there's going to be another danger of him being just like the next Peter Bosch? Man, that's a good question. And I know we spoke about this the other day. And would they risk all that again? And you know, the last Ajax manager they got in, you're quite right, was Peter Bosch and didn't go particularly um, the way it was planned to. You know, they severed ties with him quite soon after he took over. Um, and they started out playing some excellent football and then I think people worked it out quite quickly and once you work out how to stop a Bosch system it's not easy but it's, it's, it's easily replicated by others and that's what happened to Dortmund but you know, Ten Hag does play good football and you, you're quite right Bayern looked at him and he would be 
um, a good manager and he's a good man manager as well. He's able to look after the, um, you know, the, the youth players. He's also able to look after the, the senior players and, and he's able to get his message across. Just for me though, Dortmund has that fit of a coach that needs to be larger than life, um, needs to be almost kicking every ball from the sideline. Now, Jurgen Klopp's shadow looms large over Borussia Dortmund and it is like a millstone around the neck at times but that's the sort of of coach they need because we've all seen what happens under that and I think even Thomas Tuchel when he came in he's a bit more of a reserved character and a bit more of, of his own man but he's still very animated on the side remember that game with Leipzig when he was doing the um the mouth impressions where he looked like a lobster doing the, the lobster sign and he's that he's that type of player that can get guys going but there was a lot of of the squad that weren't happy with him and weren't happy with his man management so maybe someone like Ten Hag who can come in and and can do both but is maybe not as in your face as as some of those other managers would be a good fit um whatever they do they need to get next season right though um if they were to stay with Favre he needs to hit the ground running. They need to be putting pressure on Bayern from the first match day to the very last match day. There isn't any room for for any any periods of staleness, any periods of inactivity within, as in scoring goals or any problems related to the defence, which, to be fair, I think they've sorted out a little bit. But as you quite rightly said, it's the system they're playing, it's almost as if they're playing in third gear and, and they're unable to go into fourth. And, and that's a problem for me because... If you look at where they're trying to get to, which is a level Bayern are playing at, I mean, they are head and shoulders above anybody else in the league and they're head and shoulders above most clubs in Europe. There's only a few could really stick with them. And when I say a few, maybe three or four max. Um, and and that's going to be a shame, not just for Dortmund, but for the whole league. But it's going to take a monumental task next season to, to track this Bayern side. And I personally don't feel that that is the case when you've got Lucien Favre in, in charge. And that's not to say, I'll say this again, it's not to say he's a bad coach, he's not. I just don't think he's going to take Dortmund to the level that they want to be at. And and it's all to do with Dortmund's expectation. I think Dortmund plays some great football at times, and they have done under Favre. And they played some lightning-fast football earlier on the start of the season, and they played some really good football in the Champions League as well. But it's consistency that kills them, and... You can't afford to be dropping points anywhere, really, if you want to get one over Bayern, or especially this Bayern side. Yeah, it's that Selbstverständnis, as we say in German, you know, that attitude that you just can win the title, that it is expected of you, and Bayern have that like nobody else. And I think that Eric Ten Hag, and I, I see that with Jesse Marsh too, with, you know, with his attitude and, you know, winning a title in Salzburg, being able to do that. Um, he's well on the way of doing that down in Austria, and it, it it translates into success in other leagues. And Eric Ten Hag had been very successful with Ajax in the Champions League. You know, just just really just a goal away from the Champions League final with a team from the Netherlands is, is for me, it's a huge achievement. And I think he would be a very interesting fit there. Um, Chris, what do you make of the goal by Rafael Guerrero? The way I see it, it, it was quite clear cut. I know I've seen a lot of people on Twitter complaining, a lot of Borussia Dortmund accounts being up in arms comparing this to the handball by Boateng and all that. But the way I read the, the IFAB rules, it's quite clear if you're an attacking player, your arm is involved. Unfortunately, it's, it's a handball no matter what. It's black and white, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think the only the only sort of um, 
controversy, I suppose, is is was it the shoulder? And we all know you you know you can touch the ball with your shoulder, and and this is actually being amended for next season. So um, it's up the arm to the to just below the shoulder will be classed as not handball, um, and below the line down to your fingertips will be classed as handball. So that's a slight amendment for next season. But as it stands, if it looks to be an unintentional handball, it's a handball. It's all around that. Where does the shoulder stop and the arm start? That That's the whole controversy, I think. Um, I think it struck his, his shoulder uh, probably closer up to the neck than the arm but the referee's got to give it as he sees it and if the referee thinks it's touched in any part of his arm he's got to give it as as a handball um maybe we'll get a different sort of decision next season but i can see why a lot of dortmund fans were unhappy with it because you look at you know how boateng got away with one and that probably changed the face of that game but you know we discussed in great length how a side like bayern would have complained and got the penalty from that and that's maybe Dortmund's naive, uh, naiveness or, um, you know, just being naive towards that and trying to get the goal and, and trying to get the corner to take it. And we, and we spoke of that in great length. But unfortunately, you are going to get decisions which you don't like. But by the letter of the law, I think the referee's correct. Um, next season, you know, we'll see a different outcome to that. But they got the goal that they needed anyway um, to deny the title for one more weekend. But I think it's just delaying the inevitable now. Taken off his toe, Akanji, we're in to the last minute, header from Arland! Oh, can you write a better script for Erling Haaland? His one chance, his one chance. Yeah, and that was that goal scored by Erling Haaland against Fortuna Düsseldorf. Erling Haaland said after the game, um, good teams also win bad games. Well, let's see if he can maybe help Borussia Dortmund get that attitude towards the next season. Um, Chris, this this has made the headlines in German football. Um, we ran the story on Transfermarkt. Obviously, um, Chelsea, the, the invasion of German football, is that the right way of putting it? Um, they've already supposedly snapped up Timo Werner, although um, we're both patiently awaiting them actually triggering that exit clause, which is up tomorrow. We're recording on on Sunday. Um, June 15th is that deadline um, when Chelsea have to make complete that deal, right? Um, tra- transfer the 60 million euros to RB Leipzig to complete the transfer of Timo Werner. Um, do you think there is still a risk for this deal to fall apart? Or is it really just a matter of Roman Abramovich pressing the button on the transfer? It's real strange on this because I think... If you go by everything, the clubs have agreed a fee, but Chelsea, quite rightly, won't pay without a medical. No one's going to pay, you know, whether it's 50 million euros or 60 million euros, no one's going to pay that amount of money until they can have a medical and make sure there is no problem anywhere. I don't think there is any problem with Timo Werner, but the the problem Chelsea have is um, under the DFL protocol, Werner can't travel to England and undergo medical, and under the British government's protocol, if anybody from Chelsea travels to Germany to do um, a medical, and then they come back, they have to self-isolate for 14 days. Now, that wouldn't have been a problem a month ago, but the Premier League's about to restart, so Chelsea don't need their medical staff being put into quarantine for 14 days. Um, so that is a big problem for them. And and you're quite right, the 
everything about this deal, everything about the clause says that, you know, if the, if the money isn't transferred, um, then then the deal won't go through. I, I think it would be very strange for it to break down. But I mean, who's going to pay money when they haven't had a medical? You could you could ask, you know, Chelsea could pay somebody from the DFL to go and do it or from sorry, from the DFB, from the German national side. They could get some private medics to go and do it. But if those private medics were to miss something, and then later on it was to be found that he had a you know a tendon problem and a, an Achilles problem, a meniscus problem, there would be lawsuits being fired up everywhere. So it, it's a strange one. And um, as far as my understanding is, that deal has to be completed by tomorrow unless the clause goes. And, and once the clause goes, the price drops. And I think if the price drops, there'll be a lot more teams knocking on the door. It's a very, very strange situation, this um, compounded into a worse problem by you know COVID-19. Yeah, and I think if the price drops, Leipzig might just say no. Uh, they might just say, look, we don't need to sell. We don't have any financial reasons to sell because they just converted their debt with Red Bull. Um, very controversial. It's how hotly debated in Germany, right? Because um, of, of the ownership structure between the club and the, the parent company, Red Bull, and, which is located in Austria. Um, but they just converted a bunch of the debt, which, which clears up a bunch of the financial fair play problems, um, which they wouldn't have had this year anyways, because I think UEFA has relaxed those rules. But I, I think if Chelsea don't pay, there's, there is a chance there might not be a transfer at all. Um, I think, I'm with you though, I think there will be some way to, to find a solution with this um, one way or another, because I'm pretty sure Chelsea are pretty aware of um, what it means to not paid a fee um, at deadline day because I think Leipzig are a very tough negotiation partner but Chris Chelsea they, they are after a bunch of different players um, it emerged last week that they are also after Kai Havertz uh, I personally think um, the, the, the sum that was mentioned with 80 million euros is not going to be enough for Bayer Leverkusen to convince them to let him go we both spoken to Simon Rolfes about a potential future Kai Havertz transfer and I mean, he's said to us he wants the kind of money that Joao Felix received uh, or got or Benfica got for Joao Felix when they sold him to Atletico Madrid. That fee was 126 million euros. I think that Leverkusen are um, quite happy to sit this summer out in order to get the money next year. Um, I don't think an 80 million euro deal is quite possible. But then there's also this this transfer. And we both heard this from different independent sources Um that they want Julian Nagelsmann. Now, I believe my sources. Um, I believe that Chelsea do have an interest in him. But I also think this would be an extremely difficult deal for them to get done because even next summer, RB Leipzig, they will have a long-term vision with Nagelsmann. He's under contract there until 2023. And um, they have given him quite a big war chest to build a team that can win the Bundesliga title and can challenge for the Champions League. Do you think Chelsea are aware of this or do you think they're just going to try anyways? Yeah, it's a good question because, I mean, he is a good manager, he's a good coach. Everybody knows that. You know, we've seen what he's done at Hoffenheim. We've also now seen what he's done at Leipzig. Let's not forget, I know we're going to talk about Hoffenheim, but they're, you know, they're a small side, in inverted commas. I know they've got a big backer, but it, they're a small side from a small village. You know, they're that small. They don't even play in the village where they're from. They, they play in the town outside and, 
he, he took them um, from the cusp of relegation to the Champions League playoff. Um, and then he's gone to Leipzig and he, he's starting to implement a style with a young side who themselves are a little naive at times. And I think even Nagelsmann's been a little naive, but he's got Leipzig playing well. Um, it's a consistency issue they need to sort out. And, and I think he will get that and he will be able to nail down that consistency over the next two to three seasons if he was to stay and really take Leipzig into the number two club. And that's where they want to be. They want to overtake Borussia Dortmund and being Bayern Munich's main challenger. You know, They want to win the Champions League. They want to win the Bundesliga title. They want to win European trophies, be that the Europa League or the Super Cup or whatever. They They want to win all these trophies. To, to further their brand and I think we all know that it's a, it's a marketing vehicle for Red Bull like their F1 team is like the X Games is like all their motorsports are like Salzburg are like the teams in Brazil and Ghana are as well um, so that that's ultimately the aim to be winners and I think in a coach of Nagelsmann's stature they've got that it's would he want to move and would he want to move to a club like Chelsea and I don't say that as a negative but Roman Abramovich is quite a harsh um, boss to work for and he will soon cut you loose if you don't do the required um, you know the required results don't come in look he sacked his only um, Champions League winning manager um, you know didn't give him an extended deal uh, so and, and that's a, a, a player who had played for the club and went on to be a coach there and you know, in Di Matteo not getting longer than he did I think it shows the ruthlessness that Abramovich has got and we all saw the relationship him and Mourinho had when they were there first time and second time and and that's where they want to be they want to be winning the league they want to be winning the Premier League they want to be in the final stages of the Champions League um, are they going to get that under Frank Lampard I was didn't exactly set the world alight with Derby County um, while he was there uh, and that's not to say he's a good coach but Chelsea want to see themselves as a world brand and whilst Frank Lampard was a wonderful midfielder and he was a very good English midfielder. He's not in that level that, you know, Paul Scholes was. I don't even think he's in that level that Steven Gerrard was. So now he's a head coach. I don't know if he's got the right pull for foreign players. I think if you want to sign English players, Frank Lampard, or you want to sign English or Scottish or Welsh players or Northern Irish players, I think Frank Lampard's an excellent coach to have because he's exceptionally well-respected. I think outside of the British Isles, he was just a very good midfielder. Um, and and that's not the sort of manager that people want to play for. So I can see why they may be looking to change their manager after you know these transfer windows where they couldn't buy anybody, this post-corona season where they need a little bit of navigation. Uh, is Frank Lampard the answer for Chelsea? Is probably a bigger question than is Julian Nagelsmann the answer for Chelsea? Yeah, Frank Lampard was to me described as a, as a nice guy um, who, who can take the club and navigated through the current difficulties but will not be a tactical innovator and I think that pretty much sums up that part it's going to be interesting to see what Chelsea are going to do but it also shows the ruthlessness of Roman Abramovich as you said you know to basically throw a club legend like that under the bus um, come and have him come in as just a short-term solution like this and if you are Nagelsmann you obviously pay attention to these kind of things um Speaking of Nagelsmann and Hoffenheim, Chris, you already brought this up. Leipzig actually faced Hoffenheim on Friday. I thought this was was a fascinating game and many different aspects, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. But his successor at Hoffenheim, Schröder, he is now gone. Um, I had to take a look at the table because Hoffenheim are currently seventh. 
which is because of the cup final between Bayern and Leverkusen is actually enough to qualify for the Europa League. It's an interesting one, right? Because it really seems like that Schröder was getting the results, but the club didn't seem to be happy with the way they were playing football. And we all have, you know, sort of spoken about Hoffenheim for many years about this innovative club, kind of like the Leipzig of German football, where they really come in with new technology, change the, change the way football is played. And I think that seems to be really the biggest stumbling block uh, for Schröder at uh, Hoffenheim, that the coaching style didn't really quite fit the club. And now they have come, we had to look this up because they have four head coaches at the moment, Kaltenberg, Rechner, Groß and Rapp, who are in charge. But it seems to me really that they are looking for someone who is just a bit more innovative. Because when you look at the Bundesliga table, they're probably just about where we expected them to be. Yeah, I mean, for them to qualify for next season's Europa League, I think would be a wonderful achievement. We all spoke about how would they get on with the loss of Nagelsmann. Not only that, but they lost, you know, they've lost key players, um, not just this season, but last season as well. They, they, they're a club that develops players and then sells them on. And, you know, they've, they have lost a, a number of key players over the, the last few seasons. And I think, with Nagelsmann going as well, for them to be seventh, I, I really expected them to be around about 12th or 13th this season because I thought they would have needed some development time, some time to get used to Schroeder, time to get used to each other, maybe time to look at the way they play football. Have they got a different style? Do they want to take the club in a different way? But, you know, I think we said a little earlier that Klopp's a bit of a millstone around Borussia Dortmund's neck. I can see Nagelsmann having the same sort of effect. Who can we get in? Who's going to push the club on? better than Julian Nagelsmann would have done. And at the minute, I don't think there's many coaches you could get to do that. I mean, for them to be seventh um, with only a couple of games left, I think is a very strange time for them to dismiss a head coach and it you know, can only be on, on the way they play football. I know maybe they didn't particularly get on um, together, the hierarchy and the head coach, Schroeder, and that's maybe led to this, but it's a very strange decision for me. Um, if Had they been 12th or 13th or 16th, I, I could understand that. But, I mean, look at clubs who are struggling and have still got the same head coach. And, and you're looking at Schalke, Werder Bremen. Um, I think we can take Paderborn out of it because they're a yo-yo club. But you would expect that 7th-placed Hoffenheim and Alfred Schroeder would have survived any sort of chop. It's a very strange, strange decision for me, this one. Um, and... I don't know who they're going to get to come in, who could take the club um, higher in, in a quicker time frame uh, because there isn't that many coaches available who Hoffenheim could, could get. I mean, they're not a, they're not a regular top four side, um, so they're not really going to attract the bigger names. They're probably about right, so they're you know, a Europa League side and I thought Schroeder would have had a decent opportunity next season with them, but you know, he's not going to get it now, is he? Yeah, there's there's some names um, on that list. Um, Jesse Marsh, of course. Um, I think every Bundesliga side is probably going to be linked with him now because he speaks German. He is having success in Austria. We like to bring in coaches from Austria and Switzerland once they've been successful there because it's a cultural thing, right? It's very easy. Niko Kovac. I think that Niko Kovac um, will have a lot of options in a year or two. Because although his time at Bayern was a difficult one, I think he highlighted that 
he can win titles and he had a very was very successful with Eintracht Frankfurt before that and I think um I think personally Nico Kovac is going to go to a big city club he's not going to go to a small environment like Hoffenheim and this is not to down talk Hoffenheim I think the region there is wonderful but I think it's it's going to be more of a uh, a laboratory coach that's going to come in someone like maybe Jesse March or Marco Rose who's now at Gladbach and I think he's he's gonna probably go to bigger places as well um, and Florian Kofeld, Chris, um, a head coach who, with Werder Bremen, I think is an interesting character. Um, I always think he's very well spoken. I've spoken to him a couple of times in the, in the, in the mix zone, but his results have been just atrocious with Werder Bremen. And I can't really see him being a good fit. Um, so this is going to be a very interesting one, um, to follow what Hoffenheim are going to do. I think that Personally, the way Hoffenheim have appointed head coaches in the past, the way that they worked closely with the software giant SAP, where Dietmar Hopp obviously is also uh, the owner of SAP and the club, I think that they may, might surprise us and come up with like a left field solution that no one really has on the radar at the moment. And um, something that kind of like they did with Nagelsmann back in the day um, and come up with something that give, can give them an, an innovative edge um, going forward. But Chris, let's talk about this game. Um, Danny Olmo, remember him? He came in for very big money in the, in the winter for RB Leipzig. Um, it took him a while to get used to Bundesliga football. I think half of Europe wanted him um, when he was still playing for Dinamo Zagreb. Somewhat surprisingly, ended up at Leipzig. Uh, had scored one goal going into this match day and done this. Um, two poke finish, finishes. Um, you described them quite quite nicely on uh, on our WhatsApp chat because it was literally back back to back wasn't it yeah i mean the first one i mean i when um, when i did play and i haven't played for a while but i, I was a, i was a forward and i love a toe poke finish it's what i think it's an underused part of the foot that strikers don't tend to use that much and, and the first one was an opportunist toe poke finish i think when a when a striker utilizes his, or a, when a finisher utilizes his toe poke it shows that he's got a lot of thinking um, going through their mind and yeah it was a great finish as was the second finish just moments later or minutes later um but i'm on i'm not surprised about how well he's doing seeing him in a in a couple of games up close that i have especially since the the return of football after the coronavirus break i was lucky enough to do co-commentary for the dfl world feed on the on the radio or the radio world feed um, for two leipzig games and danny almost stood out um in in one of them in particular um, so it's another instant. It's another instance of of Leipzig signing quality players. Um, you know when they can get hold of them, and I think we've spoken um, before just how good Leipzig are. And by them recruiting Danny Olmo, you know, twenty two years of age, is another um, another prime example of that. But Leipzig played well um, for a little bit, and then they fell off the boil again. And I think any other side, Manu. This could have been a defeat for them, even going 2-0 up after, what, 10 minutes. The way they played football in the second half, Offenheim were able to open them up quite well. Um, and had they had a couple more finishes, I think that could have been a draw quite easily and maybe even a defeat, which once again throws up this consistency that Leipzig seem to have, or their only consistency is that is their inconsistency. Um, but for Hoffenheim, playing without... A head coach. I, I thought they played very, very well, and they're worthy of that 
that placing they've got at the moment, seventh. And I think they will feel hard done to how they didn't take one of the chances in the end um, because I thought they were really, really good in this fixture. But as we all know, goals win games. You know, they had um, they had a number of shots um, on target, a number of shots off target as well, and shots saved. And there's just so many opportunities they had to score and didn't. And I think maybe they will they will rue them and. Should Freiburg sneak them to that seventh place? I think this is one match they could look back on. But if they're looking to build and be more innovative than we've spoken about, um, I thought Hoffenheim played some good football. But then I thought they played good football at times under Alfred Schroeder. So I'm a little confused, Manu, about them at the moment. And maybe we'll have to wait until next season for that confusion to lift. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think confusion is is definitely a good way to describe Hoffenheim. Uh, some people might also be confused on why we're saying the seventh place they want to reiterate that's because Bayern Munich and Bayern Leverkusen are both um in the DFB Pokal final which means they either one have already qualified for Europa League or Champions League spot at least which means the seventh spot is now going back to the league as a Europa League spot um speaking of Bayern they eliminated Eintracht Frankfurt in the DFB Pokal semi-final on Wednesday, um, I thought this was actually a very good match, a very evenly good match and a good Pokal fight, as we say in German. But Thomas Müller, um, he said something really interesting, Chris, and I think we debated this quite a bit off the podcast as well. And he said, asked whether Bayern Munich should go after Kai Havertz. He said, it is a little paradox to speak about transfers where players receive pay cuts. That statement was then heavily criticized by Hassan Salihamidzic and some members of the board. Um, he then said today that um, he did, he was sort of misunderstood a little bit. He wants the best squad possible and win the Champions League. But was his original statement really that wrong? I think in a world where players have to have have to take pay cuts because of COVID nineteen, where some clubs and I mean we spoke about uh, examples in England, but also in Germany, there was news today that. One of the big German Bundesliga, former Bundesliga sides, Kaiserslautern, went into insolvency. This is a tough time financially for, for football around the world. Is his statement really that off the boil? Yeah, it, it, this is a tough one. And it's tough for a couple of reasons because players are being asked to take pay cuts because, you know, the lack of live sport um, for those 100 days, was it, or whatever it was in total, 90 odd days, while there was no football, was a huge loss. Um, not just for Bundesliga clubs, but for anyone involved in live sport, whether that's ice hockey or basketball or baseball or cricket or rugby. Companies that rely on bums on seats or feet on terraces and, and everything else that goes along with that, the beer that's bought, the hot dogs that are bought, the, you know, the curry verse that are bought or the snacks and all the money that's not coming in, they're still having to pay players out. And it's been a really big loss for clubs, and they've you know they've had to negotiate with players to take a pay cut, and a lot of players did that quite easily in order so they didn't have to furlough staff. So match day staff would continue to get 100% of their wages with players taking a percentage cut of themselves. And I can understand why you know Thomas Muller is has said that because can you ask a player to take a 20% cut and then go and spend 100 million euros on on a midfielder and it's a massive topic because there's going to be a lot of people out there and I will say 99.9% of people who are listening, you know, could only dream of earning a hundred thousand euros a week playing football. 
So if you're asked to drop that down to €80,000 a week, personally, my sympathy is is very limited because I'm like, well, you're still earning 80000 a week. But it's an intriguing question because the, the, the facts don't lie. You're asking players to do one thing and then you're spending money. So you're saving with one and spending with the other. It, it, it is controversial. And I can see why I said it, but I'm pretty sure Thomas Muller would have something to say if Kai Havertz went to, let's just say he went to Dortmund and, and that signing enabled them to win the league next season or the Champions League next season. He'd be one of the first saying Bayern Munich should be buying players of that calibre. So yeah, it, it's a difficult one. I can definitely see why he said it though and maybe said it a little bit tongue-in-cheek and that wouldn't surprise me because he says what he wants um, and sometimes he speaks the truth. And I, I think on this particular occasion, I think he's quite right to speak that because, you know, he's the one receiving a pay cut, not me. But from, from my eyes, if you, you know, 20% cut of a hundred and whatever thousand euros a week is, uh, you know, you're still going to be all right to get your shopping in at the end of the month. Yeah, I, th- I think he's quite bang on. <laughs> to be honest, when you look at the econo- economy of football right now, I think Jurgen Klopp said something really similar to this guy when he was asked about Timo Werner, right? Why Liverpool didn't go for a 60 million euro transfer after they had to furlough staff and um, ask for pay cuts. It's not, it doesn't seem quite the right time at the moment to discuss um, big transfers. And I think, you know, for someone who, like me who works in a, in a transfer business with transfer market, I think it, it is something, you know, we, we still write about it and these, these negotiations are happening. It seems like some clubs, that's still their priority in some ways. Um, they seem to be almost outside of the reality of what's happening economically around the world. So it's an interesting one. And another interesting one is, do Bayern even need Kai Havertz, Chris? Because, um, you know, they are going to win that title pretty comfortably. Um, this season, you know, it's probably going to happen this week on Tuesday against Werder Bremen with a win. And they could break a bunch of records, including scoring 100 goals only for the second time in, in the club's history in the Bundesliga. Um, it was a hard part, a hard piece of work for them against Gladbach. Um, it, for Gladbach for a long time, were very well organized, missing a bunch of key players, so did Bayern Munich. So it, it seemed like a friendly at times. But it was a hard piece of work. But do Bayern even need more good players? I mean, right now, you could argue that they are probably the most informed side in European football. Yeah, I think they are. Um, do they need Do they need Kai Havertz? It's an, interesting, it's an interesting question because you would say yes, and but Bayern have done this before. Are they Bayern because they need? Or will they be hoovering up that talent to stop somebody else getting it? And I mean... If they're going to get Leroy Sane, I mean, the, the midfielders they already have. Okay, I know a few have been a little um, disposed to injury over the times. Thiago has um, been out a little bit. Uh, Tolisso is here or there. Coutinho is obviously on loan, um, but he's had his injury problems. But then, you know, they've got the likes of Singh who can come in, who can play an attacking midfield, can even play right wing if he needs to. And then central midfielders, they, you know, they've got the likes of Leon Goretzka, who I think is a tremendous central midfielder. Once again, he can play on the right or he can play further forward as an attacking midfielder. So they've got a lot of options. Um, but I think we've seen in the past that when Bayern have been, can we say poor in inverted commas, it's because they've had a lot of injuries and maybe this is something that they don't want to have again. But then you get that problem that clubs like Barcelona have had and that Real Madrid have had and Manchester City have had, where you have 
18, 19, 20 top class players, but you can only play 11 week in, week out. And you can, you can, okay, we've increased the five substitutes at the moment, but you can't play 20 players week in, week out. Someone's got to rest. And if you're going for the title and you're going for the Champions League, that, that will be great for them for a year. But when you win the title at a stroll, like Bayern do, and have done for the past few seasons, when you win the Pokal at a stroll, like they have done um, over the, the past recent history at times, and if they're getting to the final stages of the Champions League, there's going to be some players who don't want to sit on the bench. And Guy Havertz, you would argue, is one of those players for his development who needs to be playing week in, week out at his age. And should he not play, should he play one game in four, I think that would really hamper his his development, not only for whichever club he was at, be that Bayern, but also for the German national side. And I think young players like Guy Havertz take that into consideration because they do want to play for the national side. And how how is he going to feature in Joachim Love's plans if he's only playing one game in every three or one game in every four at Bayern? It's a difficult choice for him because at the minute he's starting every week at Leverkusen. He's the main man there. Um, he's their standout performer at times. Um, you know he's the poster boy, so he will naturally be one of their big choices for the for the German national side. And I, I think players have to be wary of going to the right club at the right time. And me personally, at this very instance, I would say to Kai Havertz, stay at Bayer Leverkusen for another season because I can't see him breaking into that um, Bayern midfield week in week out, which is what he deserves to be doing. Yeah, I'm I'm actually in agreement with you there, Chris. And I also think that, you know, I've I visited the Bayern campus and the, the youth center that they have and there's a lot of very interesting young players coming through uh in making their way into that Bayern first team right now. I mean we saw Joshua Zirkse, yes, he benefited from a Jan Sommer mistake, but to be in that position and to be um so aware to score, um and he has been a fine goal scoring form in the, in the few games that he's been playing. I think Joshua Six is a wonderful talent showing that Bayern Munich too have understood that you have to recruit at younger levels, right? There's a player called Jamal Musiala who's, who's making his way into the first team. You already mentioned Singh. Um, Oliver Batista Meyer is another one. I mean, they're spending around 70 million euros a year on that youth academy. And I think that maybe that is the better way for them to go. Um, in terms of getting developing the squad for the future, yeah, it is. And I, I can't see this happening, but I would hate for it to happen to Kai Havertz to be like a Mikhail Kusantz, who you know was a real good performer at Gladbach and, and had this shock transfer to Bayern, and then we've not really seen him. And, and he's a, another versatile midfielder that Bayern have got on their books as well. So, I mean, if Kai Havertz went, I can't see him falling out of favor like that, but it's another level that he's got to be able to break through. And I think if he was to go to Bayern for the reported 100 or 120 million euros, whatever the fee that Leverkusen would like to get, that's a big price tag for such a young player to have around his neck. And how does he handle that? And yeah, football's an unknown quantity at the moment. We don't even know what it's going to look like next season yet. I mean, the way the Bundesliga is finishing... And the way that the Premier League's starting and the way that La Liga and, and Serie A will start, I can see we're moving on a lot quicker than I thought we would have done eight, nine, ten weeks ago. So could we have fans in at the start of September, potentially? You know, there's there's some places looking at bringing it back. I know we're going we're gonna to chat about the Pokal final very soon. Um, but football can start to look a little bit more normal again. And, and 
And I don't know if that is the right move for um, Kai Havertz at the moment. And me personally, I would just stay where I am for, for one more season and should I mean, just, or maybe until January, just stay there. And, and if football's back to normal and Bayern look like they need that extra midfielder, then yeah, make that move in January or the, or the following season. But to go now and not have any guaranteed playing time, I mean, Bayern are going to have trouble anyway when Alexander Nubel picks up. The last thing they need is a is a really talented midfielder who's cost them 100 million euros who's having to get bench time. But I don't think that's a good look for anybody and not for Bayern and certainly not for Havertz. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ja, Chris mentioned Alexander Nübel. This was the Steigerlied, the intro song for Schalke 04. It's a good old mining song. I am glad you brought out Alexander Nübel there, Chris, because it's it's a good transition to what we want to discuss next. Schalke have been, uh, for lack of better words, atrocious. I think they were actually, this was probably one of the better performances today on Sunday as we record that 1-1 draw against uh, Leverkusen. Um, they... <laughs> They're not going to get relegated, which is probably the best news for the Schalke season. Um, but when you look at Schalke, I mean, this is a team, a big club that are definitely performing below their level and have been performing below their level even before COVID-19. But after COVID-19, it, it definitely got worse. Um, there has been quite a lot of people online criticizing the Bundesliga, probably a lot of them that watched the league for the first time. And I mean, this is something that we want going into this. Do not take the Bundesliga as it looks like right now for face value because the league is playing without fans, is playing without the atmosphere. Um, it's a very different scenario. There's games in quick succession. But do you think it's right to criticize the Bundesliga defending as we have seen so many times online? Um, and also, I mean, with in mind that this is the highest scoring league in European football. It's only twice in, since the inception of the Bundesliga that it was not the highest scoring league in Europe what have you made of the defending I think you've got to take I think you've got to take it in reality and I do think the defending at times um, at some of the top levels has been poor and if we just look at Bayern who played exceptionally well they have had real problems defensively um, earlier on in the season I mean Boateng was poor 
Um, Hummels was expected to cure everything about Dortmund. It didn't happen immediately. It started to grow into that. But the, the Bundesliga has a problem, in inverted commas, is that it's got one super side and then it's got 17 good sides. I mean, in reality, it's probably got one super side, you know, four good sides and the rest are what you would say is average for a, for a top league. And if you look around Spain, I think that's a similar um, sort of scenario. I think you've got two or three really good sides. The rest are average. You look at the Premier League, I think you've got two super sides. You've maybe got four or five decent sides. And then I think the rest are pretty average as well. So if you look at, I don't know, let's look at Schalke against Werder Bremen um, or Schalke against Dusseldorf. And some, some, or the game that I watched before I commentated this week, which was um, Schalke against Augsburg, which was full of comical defending. You will get that if you watch... Um, you'll get that if you watch Ibar against Alaves or someone like that. You'll get that if you watch, um, you know, some of the some of the English teams, not just in the Premier League but in the Championship as well. It's defending has almost become a lost form because teams play on the attack. It's all about, you know, look at wing backs now. It's not necessarily how good can you defend. It's how good can you attack. And there's a few defenders who have made a lot of money uh, from not being able to defend but being able to be good at attack. So. I don't think the defending is, is substandard. I just think at the moment, in, in football moves in cycles, I think we're in a very exciting um, time of attacking football and, and and that defending is a lost art, maybe. Yeah, and I think too, uh, and Bundesliga does this more, and Pep Guardiola has commented on this, and I, I noticed this in um, one game in particular that I noticed that as the, the Rhein-Darby between Köln and Düsseldorf, it's Bundesliga sides almost press at the other team's um, penalty box. The high press is played there like in no other league. And you mentioned it. I mean, Alfonso Davies in any other league would probably be an attacking player. In Germany, he's he's a, he's a left back um, because the, the goal in German football has always been a very, very high press, which then leads, of course, if you're pressing in the opponent's half, you know, that high defensive line. And that is something that Pep Guardiola introduced into German football when he arrived there. And Joachim Löw, of course, as well, he's a big proponent of that. But if you are essentially defending at your halfway line, then you see goals like the one that Gnabry scored against Leverkusen, you know, where he gets a breakaway and he has 50 meters of free air to run because the defensive line, Leverkusen's defensive line, is literally at the halfway line, right? Because it's a high-risk, high-reward game. If you, the higher up you are able to win the ball, the, the shorter is the distance to the opponent's goal, Right. And that is, that is a defensive play in itself. And I think the Bundesliga teams do this maybe more than any other league in Europe. And that's why you see, in inverted commas, um, defensive errors in many ways, because we don't see that anywhere else. And it does look comical if someone like Serge Gnabry wins the ball in his own half and basically has no defensive players to play against. So I, I think it is, it is almost by design um, when you look at the Bundesliga but Chris, we have some really interesting questions um, this week. Let's start with uh, Fritz Baldorf. Uh, he asked, with Hansi Flick saying the other day that he wants some fans in the stadium for the Pokal Finale, do you guys think that it is at all feasible? If not, might be next season. And if so, how might it be done? How are we going to get fans back into the stadium? I mean, that, that's obviously that's a medical protocol. And from what I've read, though, I mean, the stadiums are big enough to be... 10%, 20%, 30% full. I think 
looking forward, probably a little bit too soon to be 50% full, but then look at somewhere like New Zealand where they're pretty much coronavirus free and they're going back to football or they're going back to sport as it was before the pandemic outbreak. So I would like to see fans back in. I mean, obviously I'm in the UK. There's been a lot of deaths in the UK. There's been a lot of infections and we keep getting told about second spikes and there's been a lot of lockdown breaks in the United Kingdom. We have, first of all, we had um, those people celebrating VE Day. I, I don't know why people still celebrate that, but anyway, they do. And they were doing having conga line parties and barbecues and in and each out of others' gardens. Then there was the episode of where everybody was going down a beach, um, and then we had the Black Lives Matter protest, um, which you know is is a wonderful thing for people to get behind. But there was still a lot of people out. There's very little social distancing. Then we had some very strange thing happen in the UK on a weekend where a load of far-right protesters went to protest about something that didn't happen. So, you know, they just ended up scrapping with the police. But there's a lot of people out and about in close proximity. And what I'm getting to, what my point is here, is that I keep getting told about second spike and I haven't seen one. Um, so if there is no second spike, then surely football fans in stadiums can't be that far away. I'm just going to add one thing to this. I know that the league, uh, Bundesliga, is working on concepts, but um, because like Dortmund and Bayern and Köln have said something about it, but has asked the different clubs to not go public until they have one uniform concept. So I'm going to stick with that statement. Uh, I know the league is working on something, and uh, I think when when the time comes, they will present something that will probably be hopefully then adapted by the rest of the world, um, just like they have been able to do with the Bundesliga restart. Chris, this is an interesting one by our friend Andy Wales. Prediction on who finished where between Mainz, Düsseldorf and Bremen. Uh, I personally think that Bremen, even though they won 5-1, I think I still have them as going down directly. But Düsseldorf and Mainz, um, that could be an interesting one. They're just three points apart from each other. Yeah, they are. I mean, <laughs> Paderborn had been discounted straight away. But for somehow, Werder Bremen have pulled themselves back into contention and and where they are that Mainz have been dragged back down into that and yeah we I mean I love going into the last match day and you don't know who's going to get relegated that would just be that's some scenario for me who can imagine being able to escape imagine Werder Bremen finish the very last match day in 15th and Mainz who are currently 15th end up 17th and go down that's that would be the biggest shock um, for me I mean there are three clubs I love to visit. I visited all three of them. Um, if I had any particular favourites to not go down, it would be Werder Bremen because I love Bremen. I love the area. Um, you know it well, Manu. It's only up the road, really, in 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 terms from from where you're based in Germany in your office when you when you're back home in Hamburg. So it's a real nice area of the country. But I mean, footballing wise, they're, they're all as poor as each other. I mean, remember we said. The other season, the only reason Schalke escaped the drop is because the teams below them were that poor. Um, well, a team that I thought would be relatively safe, Union Berlin, have been dragged back down into there. But yeah, I mean, who who's going to go down? I, I would be shocked um, to see Mainz go down um, with, with the gap they've got. And I would be shocked to see Werder Bremen not go down because just of how poor they've been all season. I started this season up there um, for a couple of games and, and they were pretty poor in both of them. So 
it wouldn't surprise me to see them come down. But as it stands at the minute, Andy, which is Mainz in 15th, Dusseldorf in 16th and Werder Bremen in 17th, I would be unsurprised if that's how the season ended. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Uh, this next question, I'm going to take this one. MCRRBABC asked on Twitter, Uwe Rössler has had steady start at Fortuna. Would have been a great point yesterday, but not B. What is the reputation in his home country and is he impressing since his return? I, I think Fortuna, you know, yesterday I thought they played very well. Um, they could have, they could have gotten all three. I mean, they had to depose twice. Skripski, um, with very good chances there. But Uwe Rössler, yeah, I remember when he was playing for Manchester City, I think it was back in the 90s and then he came back and he had, he had a good stint at Kaiserslautern. Remember too, he played in England at a time when the, the knowledge about football around the world wasn't quite as it is today with the internet. We've, we always knew he kind of existed and he played in England and he was a bit of a folk hero there. And every once in a while, someone would run a feature about him in one of the magazines. Um, but it wasn't really until he came back to Kaiserslautern that we, we finally understood who he actually was. And yeah, he's definitely, I think he's definitely has a bigger reputation still in the United Kingdom than he has in Germany. But I think what he's doing right now with Dusseldorf and especially if he keeps them in I think he's going to um, have a massive spike in popularity. Chris, this next question is interesting from Scott Yorick. He's actually asked us two weeks ago, but we kind of overlooked it. Um, who are the two, three Bundesliga two teams you think will go up? And who are the three teams you would love to see up? Well, I mean, Bundesliga two is absolutely full of just fantastic sides. And I think that's why we've said in the past, it's the most exciting second league. And, who would I like to see come up? Well, I'd like to see, um, I'd, I'd really like to see um, Stuttgart and, um, and and Hamburg come back up because I think they're two really good teams. But you can't argue with Bielefeld and they are, um, I think they're going to be out of their depth next season. But if you look at who's around them, I mean, how many times have we spoken in the past about Heidenheim and and how they play at a very good level of football. I'd love to see them come up as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's very, very tight there. And I mean, if you go all the way down, um, I mean, to, to, to maybe um, seventh place, it's probably out of them realms now um, for, for Firth. But another good side, I, I like them particularly because they got a wonderful badge. But Looking at the moment, at some point, I'd really like to see Heidenheim um, in in the Bundesliga, in the main Bundesliga, probably because it'll give me an excuse to go there. I haven't had a chance to go there yet. But as it stands at the moment, um, I would say the the team in third has to have an ability to, to be able to beat that 16th place side. And be that Hamburg or be that Stuttgart, I think both of those sides have got the ability to do that. I would worry a little bit would Heidenheim have the ability to, to beat, you know, that Bundesliga side that gets that 16th place? That would be my only worry. I know Union did it last season, but prior to that, it's pretty much been a case of, of the Bundesliga side being too strong for the second Bundesliga side. And that might happen if Heidenheim were to sneak into that slot. Um, Bielefeld, automatic promotion, yes, for me. Um, and I think that's going to be great for them. And I really love watching their journey next season. Um, but as it as it stands, second or third, Hamburg or Stuttgart, either one, because I think whoever finishes third's got a really good chance of coming up anyway. Yeah, Chris, for someone who works in a company as a Bavarian uh, that's based in Hamburg, I would love to see Hamburg against Werder Bremen in a relegation playoff because pretty much half the office is divided into Werder Bremen and Hamburg fans. And 
I would love to see that tension. Uh, it would make for a wonderful work workplace experience for about a week, I think. Um, so that's that's my dream. Uh, I know the, the boys in Hamburg uh, are not going to like to hear that, but I hope that happens. Hamburg against uh, Werder Bremen in the in the promotion relegation playoff. Ah, oh, that'd be great. Um, the final question: How realistic is possible challenge for the title from BVB, Leipzig, or some other club? Is BVB going to be strong with Favre staying impossible, Sancho, Sancho, Hakimi, or other guys? Is RBL going to be stronger without Werner? It seemed to me this was the season. Milan Dobricic asked this question. Milan, I I think last year and the season before were the seasons um, to un, to to dislodge Bayern. I think um, as wonderful as Bayern have been under Hansi Flick. I think that it really is a chance passed by by Borussia Dortmund in particular to win a Bundesliga title. I think this year they they, they should be closer in the standings or maybe even ahead. And last year um, they should have definitely won the title. I think they were up by nine points at one point, and you have to win the Bundesliga title. And I'm not sure if it's going to get any easier next year because I, I think Hansi Flick is doing a fantastic job and uh, has turned this Bayern team into a machine. It will take something very special um, by Borussia Dortmund or Leipzig to to get them from that top position. I think uh, Chris is pretty much in agreement with me there. Yeah, most definitely. I think 18 months of, of Nico Kovac and Dortmund or Leipzig or Leverkusen or, or anyone couldn't um, couldn't capitalize on that. And, and let's be honest, Bayern that was it was a square peg in a round hole. It didn't fit. But Dortmund, for me, threw the league away last season, um, and they should have started a lot better. Um, and that's Leipzig as well. So if no one could win it apart from Bayern last season, and Bayern, after starting so poorly, have pulled out you know such a gap. Um, if any of the sides below them weaken, now whether that's Sancho leaving or Sancho staying or Hakimi going or Werner leaving or um, Havertz leaving, I think they're the three, they're three clubs behind that can't afford to lose the best players. If they do... Let's say Sancho was to go, Hakimi was to go, Werner's to go, and Kai Havertz was to go somewhere. I think we would be looking at who's going to qualify for the Champions League and who's going to get relegated. That would be the only interesting points for next season. I think with Hansi Flick there, Bayern looks super dominant. Um, and if any of the sides around them weaken, that will just strengthen them um, even greater. Yeah, 100%. Well, guys, this does it. Um, another episode of the Gegen Wrestling Podcast in the box. We'll be back next week. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time? Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.